In Shakespeare's play, Othello, uh, there's a point where the character Iago says to Othello, Oh, beware, my lord of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster. That's where that expression comes from. Lord Byron wrote, Yet he was jealous, though he did not show it, for jealousy dislikes the world to know it. I wonder, have you ever felt a pang of jealousy? Maybe someone at work got promoted ahead of you, or maybe you've got a sibling who earns much more than you do. Or um, it could be that you have an old school friend who seems to go on umpteen holidays a year. Every time you log on to Facebook, they, it seems that they're somewhere else. Or maybe your neighbor's lawn is immaculate and yours is full of weeds. That's me. <laughs> Actually, the feeling that those situations evoke is probably more akin to envy, which is jealousy's little brother. Uh, envy is problematic in itself, but if it develops into jealousy, it can be absolutely catastrophic. It won't be uh, surprise you to learn that there is a, a godly response and an ungodly response to other people's triumphs and successes. And we're going to see a stark contrast between the two today. So last week, David killed Goliath. He saved Israel from the Philistines. In a single day, he went from being an unknown shepherd boy to a national hero. Uh, we also saw last week that Samuel had anointed David, uh, which means that he'd marked him out as God's choice for Israel's future king. Saul still wore the crown, but he'd lost the anointing. David had the anointing, but he was yet to wear the crown. Uh, from this point on, though, the Lord is with David, and we're going to see two opposite responses to his success. We're going to see how Saul dealt with David's success, and we're going to see how his son Jonathan dealt with it. So after David killed Goliath, he was taken into Saul's service, and he proved to be such an effective soldier and leader that he was given a high rank in the army. So far, so good. Everyone seems to be getting on. Uh, but eventually, the soldiers return home from this campaign against the Philistines, and the women rush out of the towns to meet them. They're singing and they're dancing, uh, and they're all singing the same thing. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And this really got to Saul. It irked him. Verses 8 to 9, Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Two weeks ago, we heard how Samuel told Saul that God would tear the kingdom from his hand and give it to a better man. Surely that must have been prevalent in his mind when David is getting all this acclaim, all these praises. Saul knows that he's messed up. He knows that he's displeased God, that the kingdom will be taken from him. He knows that his dynasty will come to an end before it's even got started. This would be an obvious time for Saul to repent. 
to turn back to the Lord with all his heart. But Saul doesn't do that. Instead, he's determined to go down fighting. Even though he knows what the Lord's will is, he will be taken from the throne, kicking and screaming. He cannot bear to relinquish his position or his power. And so he begins to see David, his faithful servant, as a rival. Now, we live in a world where it's not uncommon to see other people as rivals. And that's not always a bad thing. Um, On Wednesday, we had the opening game for the state of origin. Uh, In sport, of course, you literally compete against another team, uh, a player, a competitor. You compete against a rival. But in sport, that's slightly different. It's it's friendly rivalry. Uh, In the business world, you have rivals. We could debate whether or not that's a good thing, but communism doesn't seem to work, so I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, The rivalry itself isn't necessarily bad because you can have friendly rivalry. You've probably experienced that. But outside of sport and business, and particularly on a personal level, it can be highly toxic. If you've ever worked in an environment where people are constantly trying to outshine their colleagues to get one over on them, to make others look bad, then you will know what a terrible environment that is to work in and detrimental to the overall effectiveness of the business or company, of course. Or if you come from a family where there is intense sibling rivalry, uh, you will know the kind of stress and tension that that can cause. It, it, it can lead to some really nasty behavior. You may even have seen family gatherings ruined by it. Seeing everyone as a potential rival is a terrible lens through which to view the world. And you usually find that rivalry is very closely linked to comparison. Comparison is what pushed Saul over the edge. He was compared to the person whom he considered to be a rival. Saul has slain in thousands, but David in tens of thousands. But we all do it. We compare ourselves to other people, to their competence, their earnings, their looks, their success, their popularity. Social media has caused a pandemic of comparison. We compare our lives to the heavily edited Photoshop lives of people we know or or people we've never even met. And it can lead to feelings of great inadequacy. Comparison is a killer. Comparison is a killer of hopes, dreams, confidence, fruitfulness, and potential. Don't be looking at someone else's life. Focus on your own life. What has God called you to do? And more importantly, who has God called you to be? Saul was completely focused on David. And it became an obsession, a mania. So Saul could have said, right, God has told me that I'm not going to continue as king. So what is my role from this point on? It really is tragic because Saul could have been an amazing mentor to David. He could have celebrated David's victories, the nation's victories, but he didn't. Instead, he allowed himself to be consumed by jealousy. Envy if left unchecked, becomes jealousy. Envy is wanting what others have. Jealousy 
is wanting something bad to happen to the person who has those things that we want. Saul was insanely jealous. In fact, verse 10, and this is quite hard for us to get our heads around, so I'll look at this in a bit more detail, but uh, verse 10 actually says, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. Well, what's going on there? I mean, this is a very strange statement, and it seems to be at odds with all that we know to be true about God. Uh, for example, James 1.13 says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So nothing evil can come from God. Uh, but I think we can put this down to the way that the Old Testament writers uh, use language. So they would attribute everything to God um, as if everything that happens is the result of a positive action on God's part. Whereas I think we would want to distinguish, as the New Testament authors do, between something that God allows and something that God causes. So it's probably more accurate to say that God allowed an evil spirit to oppress or influence Saul. Uh, but what is the, the, the point that's certainly being made here is that Saul, uh, we can see, is suffering from significant uh, mental health problems, but there is a spiritual root to those. But picture the, the, uh, the scene. They got back from this military campaign. The women are singing that song, Saul has slain in thousands, David is tens of thousands. And the next day, Saul is prophesying in his house, uh, which I take to mean that uh, God has opened his eyes to the reality of this situation and where everything is headed. Uh, David is playing the lyre, as he usually did, and um, this was uh, usually very soothing to Saul. It would lift him out of these dark moods that he was having. Uh, but on this occasion, it had the opposite effect. The music aggravated Saul, chiefly because it was David who was playing it. So Saul thinks, I'll pin him to the wall, and he hurls a spear at David. David avoids it. He, he has another go, hurls the spear again. Uh, let's be very clear, this is attempted murder. Proverbs 27 verse 4 says, Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Jealousy is a very destructive uh, force, uh, a destructive emotion. And in verse 12, straight after, it says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but he had departed from Saul. And I wonder if that's what David was prophesying about, as if uh, that, that's what, uh, sorry, that's what Saul was prophesying about because that's what God had uh, revealed to him. But from this point on, Saul does everything in his power to destroy David. Uh, to start with, he puts David in charge of a thousand men and sends him off on various military campaigns in the hope that the Philistines will kill David. But David always met with success, not merely because he was a brilliant military commander, he was, but because the Lord was with him. And this made Saul even more afraid of David. Then Saul offered his youngest daughter Merab to David in marriage, but later he rejected that offer and uh, gave Merab away to someone else. In time, Saul discovers that his daughter Michal is in love with David, and so he starts matchmaking again. This is all in an effort to, to gain power uh, in this one-sided power struggle. Um, Saul is determined 
to hold on to this power. David is not fighting Saul at all. In fact, David remains loyal to Saul right up until the very end. Uh, By the way, um, Michal is the only woman in the Old Testament about whom we're told that she was in love with a man. And I find that quite sad. And here we see Saul using his daughters like pawns in a game. And then later on we find that even David had multiple wives. And I don't think we could just skip over this because it would be very natural to think, well, why does God allow his people to do this? Women seem to be getting a really raw deal here. And to understand this, we need to understand that the, the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, is at times prescriptive and at other times descriptive. Prescriptive means this is something that you should do or refrain from doing. Uh, The Ten Commandments is a good example. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. That's prescriptive. That is something that you should do or not do. It's a, a, a command, if you like. Descriptive is where the Bible tells you something that has happened without necessarily endorsing it. In fact, very often the opposite. Um, Often we get information. The Bible gives us information uh, so that we can work through it in the light of the rest of Scripture. Treating women like property and polygamy are described in the Bible, but they're not God's idea. They're the result of humanity's brokenness and fallenness. And actually, um, you see, for example, the first polygamous person in the Bible was Lamech, who was a a terribly evil person. And every time polygamy is mentioned from then on, uh, there are major problems surrounding it. Uh, The Bible is actually very critical of these things, but you've got to read the whole, the whole sort of narrative to, 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 to be able to, to, to make those clear judgments. When we see the full sweep of scripture, we, we begin to see what it's really saying about these issues that it describes in many of the uh, Old Testament passages. Uh, anyway, Saul uses his daughters to manipulate David. Uh, the bride price for Michal is a hundred Philistine foreskins. Uh, obtaining those is obviously going to put David at considerable risk. And David comes home with 200 Philistine foreskins. And they are counted out in front of the king. You should read it yourself. It's really pretty gross. Uh, but again, it's good to know when the Bible is being descriptive as opposed to prescriptive. Anyway, uh, Saul does his utmost to get David killed. Uh, But David just won't die because the Lord is with him. Uh, So Saul adopts a less subtle approach. He essentially orders David's assassination. And who does he put in charge of this? His son, Jonathan. So we come to Jonathan. What was his stance in all this? Well, we see it right at the beginning of today's passage in verses 1, 3, and 4. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even the sword, his bow, and his belt. So what's happening here? Well, in the ancient world, clothes and weapons indicated status. Clothes still do to a certain extent. Weapons, perhaps not so much, at least in our culture anyway. 
Uh, Jonathan's royal robe and his sword would have indicated that he was next in line for the throne. By giving those to David, he is in effect abdicating. He's saying, technically, I'm next in line for the throne, but I recognize that you are the Lord's anointed. You are the future king of Israel. I'm honored to call you my friend, and I just want to be of service to you. Jonathan doesn't see David as a rival. He doesn't compare himself to David. He's not jealous of David. Jonathan has peace because his principal concern is God's will for the nation, God's will for David, and God's will for his own life. He understands something that many people then and now miss in life, and that is this. Character is more important than status or accomplishment. Character is more important than status or accomplishment. Many people, many Christians even, are far more concerned about what other people see than they are about what God sees. You can accomplish all kinds of things in this life. You can achieve status and acclaim, but still be rotten to the core. Jonathan had tremendous character. He trusts God, and so he simply wants to fulfill the role that God has given him. And at every stage of the narrative, he remains loyal to David. When Saul orders David's assassination, Jonathan temporarily talks him out of it. Later on, Jonathan and David devise a plan to see if Saul is still intending to kill David. And when it turns out that he is, Jonathan warns David and helps him to escape. At one point, Saul says to Jonathan, as long as the son of Jesse lives, he can't can't even bear to use his name. He says the son of Jesse, he means David. As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will ever be established. Jonathan knows this. He's accepted it. He's pleased for David. He wants him to succeed. Saul imagines that everyone thinks the same way that he does, which is a trait of people who are proud or arrogant or jealous, vindictive. He can't believe that Jonathan would want to protect Saul. Uh, sorry, David. Uh, we see here, don't we, a, a, a real contrast between Saul's pride and Jonathan's humility. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8 says this, In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. It could be said of Jonathan, couldn't it? That though he was royal, he was born royal, he did not consider royalty something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he was happy to humble himself and take on the role of a servant. We can learn a lot from Jonathan, can't we? Don't be envious or still worse, jealous of what other people have, especially when it comes to the way that God is using them, working in and through their lives. Make the most of what the Lord has given you. Make the most of what the Lord has given you. 
Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't focus on somebody else's life. You'll just end up living in their shadow. Focus on your own life and make it your mission to discover what God wants you to do with it. It's never too late to do that. Uh, You can do that at any age or stage of life. We can always bring our lives back in line with God's will. Don't make status your goal. Make strength of character your goal. Allow God to shape you and form you by the power of his Holy Spirit. The aim of the Christian life is not to be successful, whatever that means. The aim of the Christian life is to become more like Jesus. Don't unnecessarily see people as rivals when they could be friends and allies, and then you won't feel jealous. You'll be genuinely pleased for them. You'll be excited when they're blessed. You'll be excited when things are going well for them. It's a wonderful quality to have that, when you can genuinely feel the same joy at someone else's blessings as you would at your own blessings. Romans 12 verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Actually, I think very often we find it easier to mourn with those who mourn. Uh, Rejoicing with those who rejoice can be really hard, depending on the situation. But there are two ways we can respond to the blessings of others. Like Saul, we can respond with anger, jealousy, and bitterness. Or like Jonathan, we can respond with love, joy, and humility. The former will drive us to distraction and corrode our character. The latter will bring us peace and strengthen our characters. In theory, it's an easier, easy choice to make, but in reality, it's, it can be quite hard, this. So let's pray. Let's ask for God's help right now. Heavenly Father, we uh, recognize that none of us are um, above having the odd pang of envy or even jealousy. But help us to focus on what you have for us, on the life that you've given us, the, the role that you've given us to play. Father, by your Spirit, we pray that we will uh, understand more and more about what you would have us do the person you would have us be, and that we can conform our lives to your will. We pray that that will be our highest priority. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you have a a good, pleasing and perfect plan for each one of us. We pray that we'll be focused on the path that you've set before us and not worry about what other people are doing around us. Father, fill us with your spirit today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.